This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the August 25th edition of the Rotor World Fantasy Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Gallagher. Getting ready to change it up. We're going to talk a little bit about the Kyrie deal in a little bit, so it's kind of a two-part pod, but it is fantasy football season. It's I've got four drafts this weekend coming up, and we're going to do a little cross-pod, uh, and I cannot believe we're having on Mr. Evan Silva. What's up, man? What's up, Mike? Thanks for having me on the show. Um, you know, I, I listen to all your guys' uh, podcasts during the season for Daily Fantasy, and uh, you guys work really, really hard, and, uh, you know, much respect for your grind, Mike Gallagher. You're a, <laughs> an admitted workaholic, and uh, I, I have a lot of respect for how much work you put in, and, um, you know, just, just 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 love the basketball side. Yeah, man, and obviously you too. You, you watch literally every game, right, which I, which I wish I could do, but uh, you watch seriously every football game, right? Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there there are definitely times during the season where you know you, you don't have enough time. Like later in the season, yeah. when there are no bye weeks and you know there are thirty two teams playing, it's hard to watch all of them. Um, but you know, it's I, I definitely work, uh, watch as much as I can. It's it's a little bit easier uh, early in the season, and then uh, when there are bye weeks, because they're they're just uh, so many. Or uh, you know, so many games and so many teams playing uh, when the bye weeks end in like week fourteen, uh, and you know the Brown season is over, and you know the Jet season is over, and the Forty ers season is over. Um, so you you love it when like the Forty ers play the Jets late in the season because uh, that's a game that you don't necessarily have to watch, yeah. you know, uh, and and pick apart like if the Saints were playing the Chargers. Well, actually, I was going to ask this question later, but I think we kind of hinted at it. So like earlier in the season for me. Um, and I'm sure you agree. Like the crappier the team is, the kind of more you gotta research them. And mm-hmm. to kind of tie, to, like I know, or I watched so many. I watched literally every 76ers game earlier in the, when they were really, really bad because they were so unpredictable. So the more unpredictable they are, the more work you gotta kind of invest into figuring what they're gonna do. So that kind of leads me to what I was gonna say. So like one easier way to do that now is with all that new data that's out there, like basketball. There's tracking stats. The lineup combinations are my probably go-to thing usage rates, who passes to who else. Uh, it's really cool. So what other kind of unique tools are you using now that you kind of helps you out while you're watching games and kind of put with the old eye test? Well, I'll do it you know, separately. I won't be looking at stats during the games. I'll mm-hmm. watch the right. games, and then I'll start looking at stats. Um, and, you know, I've always used a lot of pro football focus stats and football outsider stats and pro football reference is extremely helpful both for off season and in season research, because they provide a search option where you can look at guys historically in a sort of in a, like a SIM score manner. And because they give updated red zone targets and red zone carries and who's getting the ball in scoring position. And more recently, NFL.com released next gen stats, which can help you really get a feel for what kind of players players are and what their skill sets are and you're not just relying on the eye in the sky which is a subjective way 
of evaluating players. Uh, but more often than not, next-gen stats will simply reflect or kind of confirm what we're seeing on the field. Like with a player like Devontae Adams, we can see on the field and through his next-gen stats profile that he's much less of a separation receiver and more of a contested catch receiver and a run-after-catch guy. And with a guy like Kirk Cousins, we can see that he prefers to throw to receivers who are creating separation and less to guys who are playing in contested situations. And I tweeted recently about the Dolphins yeah. quarterbacks Last year, Ryan Tannehill was one of the least aggressive quarterbacks in terms of willingness to throw to receivers in tight coverage, whereas Jay Cutler had the fifth highest rate of aggressiveness in terms of throwing to receivers in tight coverage among 40 qualified quarterbacks, according to next-gen stats. So, you know, the NFL is not like baseball and basketball, which are far more advanced in terms of their advanced stats and data, but hopefully we can catch up pretty soon. Yeah, man, it was cool. Like, football had... So many cool stuff. Baseball was kind of first, like in the 80s, I guess. And then basketball, the sun just really came up. And like you were hitting at, and by the way, I got Devonta Adams last weekend at, at I'm sorry, Devonta Parker at 94 last weekend. Stealing, huh? Absolutely, because yeah. after this past weekend, you know, we saw it again with Jay Cutler's willingness to throw the ball yeah. to Devontae Parker when he's quote-unquote covered. I mean, he's going to go from a guy who was being drafted in the eighth, ninth round to a guy who's probably going to start creeping into the fifth. Yeah, man. I love that. Um, so one other thing I wanted to kind of hint at, um, we'll get to other targets. So are you, is he a guy you're probably going to target now? Like, aggressive? Like, would you take him? I, obviously, it depends who's there, but, like, you think he's – you're comfortable with him being your third receiver? Yeah, I still have him in the early to mid-30s. I prefer him outside. Like, I don't like him as much in PPR leagues because mm-hmm. I don't know that he has, like, 75, 80 catch upside. And I would prefer players like Golden Tate, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, that are going to be going in, in the fifth round and around the range where he's going to be going. But in a non-PPR league uh, where he has big yardage and touchdown upside, you know, he's definitely someone that um, I, I, he's going to be squarely on my radar uh, in, in like the, the fifth round. You know, every draft is different. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's someone that I'm starting to look at in the fifth, and ideally I could get him in the sixth. Yeah. And you mentioned, so every draft's different. So I'm, you, wrote, you wrote this, and you updated your tiers today, right, if I saw that correctly? Yeah, I've been updating the PPR tiers uh, pretty much every day and uh, the non-PPR top 150 pretty much every other day. That's awesome. So I was going to say, so you're going through your draft and as you're hinting, you have to kind of think on the fly. Um, you, you, don't, you really want to stick to your board, I always think, and having tiers is just huge. So knowing where the depth is and isn't mm-hmm. and if like, for instance, I did that draft last weekend. And I had a really, really strong sense that quarterback was going to be, and I drafted last year too, that guys go for quarterback a little bit earlier. So I took Mariota probably round and a half before I wanted to, but the quarterback run was right behind. So I think timing out, like how do you feel about kind of just thinking on the fly versus sticking to your board? Is that like a priority or I'm sure you get what I'm saying? (laughs) Definitely in like deeper uh, season-long redraft leagues, I like to use tiers. And one of the big benefits to using a tiering system is that it can just help you so much with your decision-making process during your draft. It can serve as a, value, a value-based tiebreaker. You know, you're in the eighth round, and let's say you're drafting in the middle of the eighth round, so you're at like 8.06, and you don't have a tight end yet, but you do have, let's say, three receivers. And there's only one tight end left in your third tight end tier, and it's Kyle Rudolph. 
and there are five receivers left in your next wide receiver tier. So you can probably come back and add wide receiver depth with one of the guys left from that tier because one of them is probably going to make it back to you in the next round. So you select Rudolph, and you use that tier break to help make your decision. Yep, and then also, which most people know this, but say you're picking like 10th out of 12th, you, you want to know who's behind you and what they need. That also factor into it too. So if there are five receivers behind, you really want one of three of them you got to figure out, like, oh, these guys are probably taking three receivers. So that's also pretty much anyone who plays fantasy knows that. Um, so well, I'm, I guess fantasy basketball doesn't have quite as much of a strategy. You pretty much draft the best player. And I always go by the perfect draft, quote-unquote, is when your need matches up with your want on every pick. Um, so, like, all, the, all your positions are just falling the right way that they should. But football has the, quote-unquote, zero running back strategy, very popular in PPR. And as you guys said in your Facebook, which anyone should check out, it was really cool, that Facebook Live thing you guys did. Um, the late-round quarterback, it's not just a strategy, it's a way of life. Oh, that's like That should be on a t-shirt. Um, but what are, your, what are your thoughts on that? And like any other position that you feel maybe more valuable or less valuable? I know you guys had a really cool stat about running backs having a more impactful year than expected last year. Yeah, so using tiers, which we just discussed, is a value-based form of drafting. Sean Siegel of Rotoviz in 2013 made popular an anti-fragile way of drafting called zero running back. And there are also zero wide receiver variations of this, but the most popular and the most anti-fragile form is zero running back. And what I mean when I say anti-fragile is that the idea is to use your early round picks on wide receivers because they're more predictable year to year than running backs. A big reason why running backs are less predictable than wide receivers is because they're so prone to injury. Running backs have the highest injury rates in the NFL. Uh, and another reason that running backs are less predictable and investing early round picks into them is that the NFL teams themselves invest less into running backs. They are not paid as well as other positions. And there are a lot of decision makers in NFL front offices who view running backs as a dime a dozen. Some don't, but many do. And so therefore, because NFL decision makers are investing less into these running backs, they are more open to switching out or benching running backs if they're ineffective, even for a short period of time in a small sample, or demoting these running backs into timeshares and giving other backs in that backfield opportunities to show a hot hand. Now, it should be clarified that zero running back is best applied in PPR leagues where you can start four wide receivers with something like three receiver slots and one flex, or two receiver slots and one and two flexes. Uh, zero running back is less appealing in a standard non-PPR league where you're essentially hunting for touchdowns and position scarcity is really important. You need guys who are going to score touchdowns in non-PPR leagues, whereas in PPR leagues, you could get by a few weeks with a receiving back like Darren Sproles giving you 8 to 12 points per week just to get you by. But it should be stressed that the point of zero running back is not to have weak running backs. Your goal is to use the waiver wire to try to find workhorses and stack your bench with running backs who have upside in case they hit or they catch a break in opportunity. And you're using a guy like Sproles who you can get in the 12th round to try to get by until you can upgrade your running back slots or slots while your, uh, your stud wide receivers and your elite tight end carry you in the meantime. Right. So which kind of brings me to the next point is... If you're going to go zero, and you generally suggest zero RB then, you said, pretty much? 
Uh, I would suggest being open to it yeah. based on the way that your draft is going. You know, I think that you should be willing to start your draft with four wide receivers in a row in a PPR league where you can start four wide receivers. Right. And just to be clear, if you're drafting, we're not saying don't draft David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, one or two. Like, take them all day, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are. Yeah. It, it, a lot of it depends on your draft slot. Yeah. Because you want, but you can also do a variation of zero running back where it's just you. You start with Le'Veon, and or you start with David Johnson, and then you come back and, and at the turn and you hit two receivers. You yeah. know, Des Bryant, let's say, and Doug Baldwin, and then you might come back and hit two more receivers in the fourth and around the fourth or fifth round turn. Um, you know, let's say like. Um, Stefan Diggs and Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, and then as you also to make it a little bit more short, I guess, like if you're going zero running back, you want high upside guys that like your bench should be all running backs or mostly running Absolutely. backs. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's why I love it. I just I usually will go three of my first four picks will be receivers, and then I just go. I got Kareem Hunt in that draft too, which I'm really happy about. Um, so another, actually, I'm gonna I may put you on the spot here. I made a crazy trade the other day. Um, I got Le'Veon Bell. This is a 14-team league, and I felt like it was pretty weak. I felt like there were probably about three or four teams that were dead money. I felt really good about doing well on the waiver wire. I love the end of my draft. So I gave up to get Le'Veon. I gave up Jay Ajayi, um, Terrell Pryor, Marcus Mariota, and Thomas Rawls, all for Le'Veon. So I'm going to be starting. And I still have depth. So I was getting killed on the message board. I was like, all right, man, I got Le'Veon Bell. This guy scored 31 points per game in his last seven games in PPR before he got hurt. So I, I, I love that trade, and I was surprised that people in the league were like roasting me for it. Yeah, and only a handful of players each year really tilt fantasy leagues and tilt the direction of how fantasy leagues are going to play out. So doing whatever you can to try to secure one of the handful of difference makers, and Le'Veon, of course, is that, you know, trying to secure those true difference makers is always something that should interest us, even if, you know, it seems like we're giving up a lot of player volume. Uh, the goal is to, to secure the guys who give us a weekly edge on our opponent. Yep, and like you said, I, the difference between fantasy baseball and basketball versus football I've always felt that in football is whoever has the best three studs and your roster doesn't suck, you're probably going to win. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously it swings a little bit different and you got to be healthy, of course, but whoever has the three strongest guys usually is going to be the team you don't want to play. Um, so that, again, that's why, so you were like, I, and again, the waiver wire is also just massive in football. So opening up as many roster spots early Especially with the third week coming up, we're going to see guys get cut. You know, every year, mm-hmm. what Jamal Charles, you guys are saying, has a chance to get cut. So who was it? Um, DeAndre Henderson, is that right? The, D'Angelo Henderson. D'Angelo Henderson. Yes. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, just picking up guys and dart those, man. So uh, another. So we kind of hinted at this. So usually you want to have a pretty good floor for your early picks. You don't want to shoot all upside early, which is also true for basketball and even baseball, probably more so. Uh, when do you kind of flip that switch on going for more upside than you probably should? Is there like a certain time you like to do it, or is it more based on how the draft is going and who's available and all that, or is there any particular feel for it? 
So Rich Rebar has written a lot about this this offseason for Roto World. Uh, it's at Lord Reeves on Twitter. And he's laid out how he likes to try to build balanced rosters that include high floor guys who offset your higher variance picks. So you might draft a Martavis Bryant in the fourth round. He's going to deliver you some really big peaks, but his valleys can be tough to overcome if you're surrounding him with higher variance guys who are also prone to duds like, let's say, Allen Robinson or Deshaun Jackson. So after you take Martavis in the fourth, a good guy to compliment him in the fifth is going to be someone who's a little bit more consistent, like Larry Fitzgerald or Golden Tate. You know, these guys are going to smooth out your weekly scores and keep you contending each week, even as your higher variance players go through their usual peaks and valleys. Yeah, and that's actually the basketball way of that is generally the older guys. They always fall, but they're usually pretty solid, but their upside just isn't like a top 50 kind of a guy. Whereas, you know, a guy like, say, I can't even think of anyone, uh, like, say, Jason Tatum, um, a guy who oh, yeah. may be not very good, but he's insanely skilled. He's not in the best position. So mixing in some high four guys definitely is a good strategy. Um, so one question that's always popular in basketball, and I don't think it's as true because there's just a bigger piece of the pie for each team. Um how do you feel about drafting guys from the same team? Do you care like at all? I don't care. I pretty if I have a guy ranked at a certain spot, I'm factoring all that stuff in there. Yeah, this is something that people really, really struggle with. You should be willing to more more willing to draft guys on the same team when they play in great offenses mm-hmm. because you're betting on the on those offenses. I mean, in DFS on a more weekly basis, we do stacking. And it's a similar concept. You're probably less likely to stack a weak offense. You're much more likely to stack a really good offense. And backfield drafting is something worth considering in really good offenses, even though it is something that really worries people because they don't think they're going to know who to start week to week. But they're really just thinking too much. You should be willing to draft Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson on the same team just to tie up that backfield, which is going to score a ton of points. Or Mike Gillisley and Rex Burkhead. You know, sort of like Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman last year, there are definitely instances in good offenses where both guys are startable week to week. And then there are also instances where, let's say, Gillisley has another setback with his hamstring, and all of a sudden, because you drafted both, you have the feature back on the Patriots. Or Adrian Peterson at age 32 gets hurt again, hmm. and with Mark Ingram, you have the feature back on the Saints. So this is really a high floor, very high ceiling approach, and that's pretty much exactly what we want. We want to yeah. make that we don't make decisions that have high floors and high ceiling in terms of our expected result or outcome. And then also uh, take it a step further too. Like if you say you draft like Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, you're not going to play them against. The, you're probably not going to play them both against a great defense. However, they're playing the Saints Week One. You know you could probably get some good stats out of them um, depending on who else you have. Obviously, so I like that. I like having guys where I can play them together in a great, great matchup. And then, you know, you can even trade one, too, if the schedule dictates a certain way. So I, I love actually drafting guys from the same team. Probably not early, but, I mean, if you have Le'Veon and Antonio Brown, like, who cares? You know, like, they're ranked, yeah. they, they're ranked that way because they're really, really good. I saw something that was like, I think the Saints had, what, Ingram was number 10 last year, and Cooks and Thomas were both, like, top 12. So you could get a number one running back and two number number one receivers in the same offense. Like, And then you also, you also had a great point, too, in that Facebook. You're like, Oh, I want some Aaron Rodgers exposure when you took Randall Cobb. Mm-hmm. So does that kind of, like, you're like, oh, I don't have any Packers yet. I don't have any Patriots yet. Is that something you think about? Or, if like, is it, like, do you, like, need it? Or is it just, like, oh, it just makes sense while you're doing the draft? 
Yeah, I mean, so Randall, Randall Cobb is essentially the cheapest part of the Packers offense this year. And, you know, he has not played well the last two seasons because of injuries. Uh, but he has that attachment to Aaron Rodgers. If Jordy Nelson or if Devontae Adams gets hurt, you know, his role will be elevated. Uh, and he's still really young. So it's not hard to conceive of Randall Cobb re- recapturing his early career form because dude is, you know, he just turned 27 years old. Hmm. Um, so I'm not, you know, because from a stat projection standpoint, if you're just going to project, you know, the Packers carries and targets and touches, Randall Cobb doesn't come out looking too great. But we know that things change in season and we know that, you know, this guy went from one of the NFL's most efficient receivers to a guy who over the last two years has one of the, been one of the NFL's least efficient receivers, but he's still young. And so, you know, there's definitely a non-zero chance that Randall Cobb could experience some sort of bounce back. And we saw uh, that Randall Cobb still has something left in the tank for sure mm-hmm. in last year's playoffs. He was excellent in last year's playoffs. Yeah, and this guy was first rounder, like what, like I want to say three years ago, the PPR, something like that. Like it's not that old. Yeah, people were taking him, you know, f- first three rounds uh, regularly for a couple years there for sure. Yeah, I had one league where I uh, got a bonus for punt return and kick return yards. Like back, he was like the number one guy, like right when he was starting to come up. Wow. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, okay, so any other like good bad offense stuff that you think, or how about actually, I thought of something. So. Guys that are in really, really bad offenses, so the Jets, and a guy that I kind of have a lot of shares of, and I will sadly admit I'm a Jets fan, uh, which I've always said is part of the reason why I like fantasy so much, because they suck so bad, but um, how do you feel about drafting guys who are just on total S-show teams? Uh, Again, this all is factored into how you draft, but you'd rather take a guy like that late than someone who's a high floor guy almost every time, right? What you definitely want, don't want to do is come out of your draft with a bunch of guys in bad offenses. You, you know, you, you have to, you know, be able to zoom out during your draft, look at your draft. You know, I'm, I don't want to be investing in, you know, a ton of picks into the Jaguars, the Colts when we don't know when Andrew Luck is going to come back, uh, you know, the Jets. Uh, even the Broncos, you know, some concerns about their offense, you know, so but those guys are usually devalued in the draft anyway. And what they what they do is they become volume plays. Bilal Powell has become a purely a volume play. Uh, Robbie Anderson, even later in drafts, has become a volume play. Kenny Britt in the middle rounds is a volume play uh, in Cleveland. So, um, you know, those guys usually go mid to late anyways. Uh, but what you are searching for is guys who are going to have a chance at uh, getting a lot of volume, uh, be, you know, in order to offset the fact that they're they're playing in offenses that aren't going to score touchdowns. Pierre Garcon is a, a, an earlier round example of that. He could get a ton of targets. They're playing with Kyle Shanahan and Brian Hoyer, who helped DeAndre Hopkins to that monster season a couple of years ago. Um, but you know, he 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 goes sixth round usually, uh, but he's never scored more than six touchdowns in a season, and his touchdown projection this year, you know, is, is probably below six, but he's a volume play. Yeah, I I'm, I think I'm probably more volume play late than it sounds like you are. Like, my, I have a lot of Robbie Anderson. I have your boy, Minitron, Galladay, got me, on, got me on him. He's going a lot earlier now, I noticed. Yes, he um, is. Okay, so, get you out of here on a couple things, and I gotta mention, too, the draft guy, like you said, Rich Rebar stuff, he has, like, Drafting guys at cost. Uh, there's so many mock drafts in there that are really helpful if you're in a good league. And you can kind of, especially auctions too, you see where guys go. And one thing too I like is looking at auction prices. 
to see how your three for one trades work. Like, so if you see two guys that went for seventeen dollars, and you, this guy in the expert auction league went for like fifty, do that. Um, just because he's more valuable and you can build your bench better. Um, so, I mean, they might, uh, anything else in the draft guide? Again, what PP, PPR, half PPR, full PPR, uh, all those columns, customized projections. Uh, I know you guys just have so much stuff. Anything else in there that I didn't, I didn't mention yet? Just a lot of great articles and stats and projections coming from you know some of the some of the people that are the best in the business, uh, you know, and, and in my opinion, and they put a lot of time into it. And Reeves is updating the stat projections and the rankings and the tiers on a near near hourly <laughs> basis at this point. That's awesome. And then also uh, they have the abusing the default rankings, which I I rate for basketball. Uh, that was awesome. Ray Summerlin wrote that really well. I love that's a must-have. You need to just write like whatever format you're in, have that handy. Um, and then Nick Menzio, late round running back targets. If you're doing zero RB, gotta be about that. Um, so I guess what what are you watching for this weekend? Um, I this is the big big weekend for drafts. Um, I know Kareem Hunt's on my must-watch list tonight. National TV game. Uh, any other situations that you've got kind of at the top of your must-see TV list tonight? Absolutely. I want to see how Mike Gillisley performs nice. uh, because we have not seen him at all uh, so far. He's been injured for almost all of camp. He's had he has a long history of hamstring injuries. He missed the entire 2014 season with a torn hamstring. He was out since the spring with a hamstring. He just recently returned to practice. So how is he going to look? You know, is, is he going to miss any blitz pickups? You know, is he going to fumble? Um, is he going to come out and blow it up and score three touchdowns? You know, because Mike Gillisley is one of the, the most volatile players uh, in fantasy right now. He was ticketed. He seemed to be ticketed for uh, the old LeGarrette Blunt role where you can score a lot of touchdowns. Patriots actually lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns over the last uh, six seasons. Um, you know, this is a backfield to invest in, and you know we want to have stronger opinions. I want, I just, I want to see how Mike Gillisley looks out there. So, how do you feel about like? I know I've seen some stuff on James White. Um, obviously, your boy Rex Burkhead. I'm in that deep dig. I picked up Dion Lewis just as a flyer. Um, I mean, is there anybody that you just kind of based on where it goes value wise and pounce, or is there guys you're more aggressive on? Just because, as I think Roto Pat said it best uh, in that Facebook Live thing. Bill Belichick's guys, they're faceless men. They just do the Queen's bidding. So uh, do you like? Do you want a piece of that, or you just kind of just see where it goes? Absolutely want a piece of it. Um, you know, Mike Gillisley in the seventh or eighth round, Rex Burkhead in like the ninth round. Um, James White is probably the least appealing option in that backfield he's going to finish as a decent ppr scorer because he's likelier to stay healthy because he's not being banged between the tackles and he's going to catch a good amount of passes he's going to play on third down and one of the nfl's best offenses but you know he he does not have workhorse potential whereas gillisley and rex burkett do Dion lewis i think is really interesting for where he goes because he goes so so late i mean yeah. people have written him off it seems like uh, but he has been He's been the most explosive back for the Patriots in the preseason. It looks like he's got that that extra burst back. Uh, so he is um, he's an awesome pick, like in the twelfth or thirteenth round. And again, you know, I would be very willing to select two of them uh, to try to lock up that backfield and find and figure and try to try to land, you know, with a lower investment pick because none of these guys are going super early in drafts yeah. and that becomes time to try to take chances on guys and, and have a big hit because one of these guys is probably going to help 
uh, people win a lot of fantasy leagues this year. Yeah, and also, by the way, that Deion Lewis guy I picked up, he was dropped in that four-for-one deal that I made for Le'Veon. So I got another nice. piece from that, man. That's what I'm saying. I love four-for-ones, four three-for-ones, two-for-ones. They're like my baby. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, dude, tonight's so crazy. There's that, Minitron tonight. Uh, so yeah, if you got if you're a football guy, and you got to be on the blurbs. I mean, are you blurbing tonight, by the way? Uh, there are nine games tomorrow, and I blurred yeah. last night, so I think I might take a rest tonight, but <laughs> I will probably just end up working. What What else are we looking at on on Saturday? Um, Buffalo. See, if Jordan Matthews is back at practice, right? Buff. What's up mm-hmm. with Baltimore's running back situation? Uh, I know. I don't know his. Have Woodhead's been hurt with the hamstring? Mm-hmm. Anybody else that? you think can make, make some headway? Buck Allen is a guy to watch. You know, Terrence West is a pretty replacement-level runner, and he has struggled this preseason and reportedly in camp uh, so far. So, And Buck Allen is a 220-pound running back who uh, doesn't run – between the tackles with a lot of like violence or excitement uh but he is a good pass catching back and anytime a guy is 220 pounds and they can catch passes you know that and they're athletic that makes them intriguing so he will be a guy to watch uh but yeah there's a lot of games man uh, i'm just i'm gonna I, I'm, I'm excited to try to watch uh i'm gonna watch all of them i can't wait i'm i'm nowhere near a football guy but i'm so pumped uh I, we're working on the basketball draft guide and i kind of went out of my way to get it done early to be ready for this weekend, man. I'm so fired up. Uh, any other parting shots or favorite targets or guys? You write the, you're going to write this uh, the guys to avoid article. Or anything you want to tell people to shy away from, other than the awesome knowledge you've given us already? Yeah, I, I would just like to say that there is just a, a crazy, enormous running back thirst in fantasy drafts this year to the point where we are seeing Isaiah Crowell. You know, the running back for the Browns, he's starting to creep into the second round. The running back on the Browns. And all (laughs) of the big four rookie running backs, Leonard Fournette, Joe Mixon, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, these guys are going to the top three and four rounds. Uh, Running backs on bad teams like Jordan Howard and Todd Gurley rarely get out of the second round. We've seen Devonta Freeman and Jay Ajayi and DeMarco Murray miss time already in training camp with injuries. And these guys more often than not go as borderline first-round picks. So... Whether or not you're going zero RB, you don't have to go full zero RB. But I think that I personally would rather invest my early round picks this year on wide receivers and elite tight end than pound running backs in the middle and late rounds. Carlos Hyde is a guy who always falls to the fifth and sixth rounds, and he has a chance to be the every down bell cow back in a Kyle Shanahan offense. Mark Ingram has been a top 10 fantasy back in back-to-back years. He always lasts until the fifth. Adrian Peterson has a chance to score a lot of touchdowns. He goes sixth, seventh round. We talked about the Patriots. Darren McFadden appears likely to be the Cowboys' bell cow back for the first six games, and then who knows what will happen with Zeke Elliott. Doug Martin has looked great this preseason. He often lasts until the eighth round. Jacquez Rogers goes in the double-digit rounds, and you're likely going to get at least three starts out of him to begin the season which is going to buy you some time to try to work the waiver wire. Jonathan Williams has looked outstanding with the Bills in August, and who knows what's going to happen with the Bills. I mean, they do not appear to be going all out for this season after trading their top receiver and cornerback a few weeks before week one. So they may see Jonathan Williams as their running back of the future. I mean, LaShawn McCoy is probably not going to be back uh, next year. I'm listening to that part you just said like 10 times before I do my drafts, man. Like That's just... You're just so set. I'm so ready to draft right now. Uh, so, man, thanks so much. Um, hopefully, like, when basketball season starts, I could, like, maybe do something, like, tie basketball and football. I mean, this is, I love the, the 
the cross sports stuff, man. It's really cool. Yeah, I agree. Oh, well, let's uh, before we, before we get you out of here, we we gotta ask, we gotta get you going on Jason Tatum, so you could plant your flag right there, real quick. <laughs> I mean, I would much rather just listen to you talk about Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum went to my high school, um, so I absolutely have bias. But you know, I've also seen David Lee and Brad Beal. Um, yeah, so and I can, can kind of just compare those guys where they were in terms of their progress at the same ages. And Jason Tatum was significantly further along than David Lee or Bradley Beal at the same age. And so that, to me, is a pretty positive indicator. And then we saw what he did in the summer league. Uh, He's a a bad, bad man. He's insane, dude. I mean, he has... You know, he has just crazy inside-outside ability. But I would much rather listen to you talk about Jason Tatum. He looked a lot like Towns. He reminded me a lot of Towns in the summer league. More of a natural scorer. But it was like, dude, this guy was really a freshman. Um, But, yeah, uh, we're going to talk about that right now. So, perfect segue uh, for the next part. But, again, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks, Mike. All right. So, changing gears. We are back in basketball mode. And we are going to break down the Kyrie Isaiah Thomas trade. With me to do so is Dr. A, Steve Alexander. What's up, man? Long time to talk, brother. How's it going? Baseball season? Fantasy baseball season? Anything else with the kids? and Fantasy football season? Fantasy baseball season and I are not not getting along very well right now. My my team just kind of... It was hot. Both of them were hot early, and then they both just kind of fizzled out. But, yeah, my kid's playing on a park and rec baseball team and then a, a travel baseball team. So uh, I'll be at baseball practice or a game every Saturday and Sunday between now and Thanksgiving. Jeez, man. It's going to be a earlier season for the NBA, too. It's a lot of overlap. October 17th, baby. That's LeBron right. versus Kyrie. Yeah, yep, first game of the year. And... Before we even break this down, how crazy is it that the top team in the East and the number two team in the East just traded their star point guards? Like It just didn't see it coming, you know? Well, and how crazy is it that LeBron and we are going to face off to start, yeah. the, to start the season off, man? That, that is, both of those facts are, are incredible. That, that, you know, two number one point guards... In a in a conference, have traded for each other, and then they play each other uh, day one. It's it's insane. Yeah, it's I can't even I didn't yeah I can't think of anything ever like this before. Like to do. Um, I'm more excited about that game than I am uh, the fight tomorrow. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Not even close. I don't care. By the way, trivia question: Do you know who's singing the national anthem at the fight tomorrow? No idea. Demi Lovato. Of course. Uh, yeah. No idea. <laughs> um, who, Floyd all the way, or what? Get, get that out of the way. Floyd. Floyd. If by I decision. was going to bet on it, I would be going with Floyd. Yes. Yeah. yeah. One of my friends, he gambles, and he's putting a lot of money because you get to bet a lot to win anything decent because the odds are so heavy on Floyd. Right. But uh, okay, so let's get to it. So Kyrie Irving, he of this traded group, he was highest on my board. Before the trade, and he's higher yet. I think this is a great win for him. Um, he's going to a, a, t- a place where he doesn't doesn't have to, doesn't have to deal with LeBron anymore. That's just big. Um, his usage rate was only thirty point two. That is lower than Isaiah's. Um, Isaiah was thirty three point seven. So he's getting a bigger piece of the pie, going from uh, thirty five minutes 
34, so you're pretty much minutes are the same. Uh, it's just a better offense. I mean, look at Isaiah's numbers, and it's coming off a massive career-high 63-2 shooting percentage. All his numbers just look really good. Uh, his assist rate in the past two seasons has been fantastic. Third year before, he's been great. So it's it's just a hotbed. Um, so I mean, there's what less or more likely he gets rested. Probably about a push. So I I love Kyrie, um, a guy that I is pretty much at the turn, first and second round. I, I feel the same way, man. I mean, he he was already really good and, and fun to own when he was in Cleveland, but now in Boston, I mean, I, I think that people there are just going to embrace him so, so much. And it's just the, the warm, fuzzy feelings <laughs> he's going to have and, and this chip on, chip on his shoulder and the pressure and the, uh, I want to be the alpha dog and I want to be the man and, and I'll see you later, LeBron. Like it, it all just adds up into fantasy Fury, man, it, it's going to be awesome. So, where are we at points wise? Are we thinking twenty eight, twenty nine? I mean, I mean, do you see an increase there? Do you see more assists? Anything else? I mean, he's still got to play with Gordon Hayward and, and Al Horford. Um, I mean, twenty twenty eight or twenty nine seems like a stretch to me for Kyrie. But then again, without LeBron there um, and and him being the the guy, it, it's possible. Um, I haven't projected his numbers yet for the draft guy, but yeah, I guess he's going to come in. What did he average last year? 25. So, yeah, 20, 27, 28. Yeah. I mean, and plus, too, he is – probably my, my favorite thing on Kyrie is he is so underrated as a not using the ball too much, like anti-hard, a guy who has to have the ball all the time. And probably my one of my favorite things about him is – so Stephen Curry – under two seconds, he's insane. 63.4 effective field goal percentage. Uh, not many people could be better than that, right? Guess who is? Kyrie Irving, 63.8. So he's going to be just ridiculous from three. I think he's going to probably top his numbers from three, even with LeBron, who kicks out to him. Best three-point passer of all time, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's just chilling. Um, I think probably my biggest thing is... We did have to worry about the foot injury. That was the big question coming out of college. And we've seen Kyrie miss time for injuries for a litany of reasons. That's probably my number one overarching concern. We usually get concerned about a big piece going from a different situation. You know, we always talk about Victor Oladipo. But I'm not worried about that at all. I'm more just worried about his um, durability and everything. So, But his upside, his upside is just as high as... I mean, you could really say Curry, really. Um... But I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Curry, but his upside is just very, very tasty. Would Would you take him, like, between ten and twelve? I haven't. I, haven't I, did, like, I mean, you and I are going to do fifteen drafts. Probably. Yeah. I mean, are there leagues where where you would take him ten to twelve? I don't think so. I mean, ten or twelve. I'm looking at Gobert, Jokic if he's there. I have Dame really high. Again, durability being the reason playing 80 games a season is just can't can't top that for for a guard that does as much as he does. Um, so yeah, I would go for Dame. Uh, he's right there with John Wall. It may depend on who I draft first. Like say for instance, I get Jokic, where I'm going to get a lot of assists. I may be more inclined to grab someone like Kyrie over Wall. But they're pretty much those three. 
you're going to see those guys going in all different sorts of order, um, depending on, on who you're drafting with. Or I mean, probably Boston people will probably take him like six or seven, which I don't hate. Um, I can't put him higher than eight. We talk about the big seven uh, guys that we like for, for the draft. But, yeah, he's right there in that Jokic chair. He's ahead of Chris Paul, which... You know, but, for, but for you, um, Dane Lillard is clearly... And a better target than Irving. Not, not clearly, but again, it's just durability. Dame, it was number six post break last year. I love that. Um, he's just getting into his prime. Um, Dame is just, uh, he goes so underrated, man. He had a slow start last year. That happens. Uh, Carl Towns had a slow start last year, really came on strong. Uh, I am a big proponent of strong second halves. Um, Jokic last year, the strong second half, really came on after the whole Nurkic thing got put aside. So, yeah, um, right there, that, 12, that 13, 14, 15 range. We are, we are already off topic, but I'm going to keep us there for a second longer. <laughs> um, this whole, you mentioned Chris Paul, and there's a lot of people out there that think that he is going to go crazy this year because he's going to play for Mike D'Antoni. Um, I, I'm not really feeling that as much. Um, so I think Chris Paul could go anywhere from, like, 7th or 8th, to like 25-ish, depending on what draft. I, I, I just don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think he probably won't fall to 25 in, in many leagues. But I, I can just see that guy going real high or middle of second round. Yeah, I mean, you look at – first, you think D'Antoni, you think three-pointers. And Chris Paul had by far his best three-point season ever. Um, most makes, most takes, and best percentage. Um, so can't do much better than that. Uh, free throw rate, another D'Antoni thing. He's ninety percent year in and year out. So, but then again, there's the Harden factor. So I yep. see the Harden factor being an oh, is more of the bigger shadow of, of the two um, to hurt his potential uh, upside, I guess. Because you're gonna get 34, 35 minutes of Harden. It sounds like D'Antoni is gonna stagger them. So, in those 14 minutes that Paul's without Harden, he is going to feast. Um, so, if you could take that 14-minute segment and extrapolate it to, like, 36, he'd probably be, like, first or second. But, <laughs> um, you know, he's still going to have to be, you know, probably, like I said, it'll be a mixture of a top-five player in that 14 minutes and a top-30 kind of a player. So, split the difference a little bit, and you're looking at, like, 16, 17, 18, mid-second round yep. for... A guy yeah. that is just Mr. Fantasy. He's like, I call him the Carl Anthony Townsend point guards. Just money and percentages. He's going to give you a little bit of everything. Um, just really no holes. And he keeps his turnover down, turnovers down, especially relative to the point guards that are dishing out 10 a game. So, yeah, Chris Paul is and usually durable. He had that knee thing, the hand thing, um, you know, injuries here and there. But overall, he's pretty durable. I mean, whatever. He's not, he hasn't been below 60 games since... Uh, nine, nine, ten. So I mean, every year he's out there for yeah. what do you pay for? Okay, get us uh, back on track. All right, back on track. So let's talk about anything else on Kyrie. So we're talking. What I have, him, I think I have him at like fifteen. I have him over LeBron. I had him just behind LeBron before the trade. And I pushed him over. That but, makes sense. Yeah. So let me let me see where I have him really fast. So you're thinking you're kind of on the same page. Would, well, you t- would you take yeah, him? Would I mean, you take him I, over? You and I differ on LeBron. Like I'm right. fine with taking LeBron at 11 or 12. Yeah, we'll get to him shortly. So, who would you, t- if you had to rank Dame, 
Wall, Kyrie. That's okay. That's pretty much and Chris Paul. I guess we'll throw in there. How would you rank those four in a vacuum? So like, I think I'd go Kyrie first. Really? Like Kyrie, Dame, um, Paul, and then Wall. I think for me. Okay. Yeah. So you. If like I said, if I knew Kyrie was gonna give me eighty games, I would I would probably put him like five, but I don't know, man. I'm a little worried about that. So um, well, I, I think Boston's gonna run away. Um, I don't think they're gonna run no, away. No, no, no. I'm not worried about rest. I'm just worried about because he's had more more injuries than Dame has. Yeah, so he's just he just seems a little more fragile. Right. Um, than, than some of the other point guards. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the finals injury everyone thinks about when he missed when he, with the knee injury. and this, He's not as not exactly uh, a Carl Anthony Towns out there, or a Dame for, for that matter. Okay, so let's talk about Isaiah. I have him as a loser. Uh, really for the same reasons that we just said. Uh, LeBron is a vacuum. Kyrie, Kyrie again, is a thrives on off-ball shooting. I mentioned the 64 effective field goal percentage off-ball. Isaiah's pretty good, but he's upper 50s, so he's going to have to adjust there. Uh, again, the usage rate, he is not going to be at 34 usage rate. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, he was fantastic. If you play DFS, fantasy points per minute, we've seen Isaiah touching 11,000 for a good reason, where Kyrie would not really hit that too often. When Isaiah was going, we would plug him in all the time. So he was a guy that I was worried about to begin with uh, because... Hayward was there, and they just got a lot better. So, if you compare Isaiah to Celtics of April, it's a big drop. But Celtics of July, it's not a huge drop. But he's not someone I'd rather. I want to take in the second round anymore. Uh, I want to take. I'd rather have Bradley Beal, believe it or not. I'd rather have CJ. Uh, I just see his assist dropping. I, I see his uh, just again overall scoring dropping and. Consequently, free throw rate. Isaiah was incredible at getting to the line, uh, which was, I think, he was number one last season because of his volume and efficiency there. So that takes a big hit. So, I mean, there's really a tough... As, he was great first round, but I, he's going to have a tough time being a top 20 player um, in the new system. And I, that also means, I think he's going to be a, a really fun player to get in, in, like, if he drops to round three, getting Isaiah in, in round three... Is going to be pretty cool. Um, you know, he was he was in in my mind. He was a camp MVP last year. I mean, I don't real question. Really, yeah, he realistically should have won, but I mean, he did as much for Boston as as those other guys did for their teams, and he was unbelievable. And now that he's next to LeBron, like you said, man, the vacuum it's it's just going to get the the wind is going to get sucked out of his sails, man. Yeah, he um, was missed king of the fourth, right? So yeah. that that was his. He was among I forget what the the cutoff was like thirty usage rate in clutch time. He was number one for efficiency. Uh, Jimmy Butler was a close second. So like, you know, it LeBron is not going to let you dominate the ball late in the game. It, it just doesn't happen. So with Isaiah scoring in, in almost the teens, what he was cruising at like. 12 or 13 points per fourth over that like insane 15 yep. game stretch he had or whatever it was. So okay, so let me put it on you then. If you want to rank guards, put you on the spot. So you're looking at Lowry, you're looking at Conley, Kemba Walker, and Isaiah. I think that's kind of the next tier from that Chris Paul tier we just mentioned. Where does Isaiah fit in that group? 
right right in the middle of it. Okay. I mean, I think uh, all four of those guys, you are, I, I mean, they're going to go in a different order. You know, you look at ten different drafts, there's going to be a different order in all ten of them for mm-hmm. those guys. Um, I think Kemba is underrated. I think Conley might be the most efficient out of, out of that group. Um, I think I'd take Isaiah before I'd take Lowry. Really? Lowry's like a first, what, just because you're worried about the games? Yeah, I, I, I just feel like Lowry, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't even know what. Well, Lowry, the reason why we're gun-shy on Lowry is because the past two seasons he's been incredible. First round player for the first 60 games. Then he gets hurt. So that stings when your guy you've been counting on to get you to first or second in your league goes down and he has that reputation, that is going to sting. So that's probably why. I ha- I still like him, man. I mean, we're talking about like elbow injuries and it's kind of the more unlucky kind of a thing for Lowry. Uh, so, which well, Con- Conley had that too. Conley had that before last season. Everyone's like, Conley gets hurt late. So he shook that off. So I'm not too worried about it. It's not like... Soft tissue, hamstrings, and so forth. So I, I have IT last of that group. Well, uh, I, and I'll tell you, we didn't mention his hip injury, but we still don't even know if right. he's going to be out there the yep. first two or three weeks of the season. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, that his hip injury, um, until we find out what the status is with that, which we're supposed to know soon, right? Like Monday? Yeah, it should be pretty soon. Um, they apparently – they. Kept us on the hook for about a month and a half on whether or not they were doing the surgery, and now it sounds like they're they're good on that. Um, but that what they announced what two three weeks ago that they weren't going to have surgery. So I mean that's no joke, man. I mean look at Gerald Henderson, uh, he's he's having hip injuries all the time. Uh, the severity is not quite as bad, but man, you can't you can't. Sh- and Greg Oden had hip trouble. That's part of the reason why he got hurt. I mean he dealt with foot and other stuff, but. Bad hip. It's a little scary, man. So. And, and the other the other part of this with Thomas that we sort of touched on, but not only is LeBron going to not let him dominate in the fourth quarter or throughout the rest of the game for that matter probably, but LeBron is obsessed, possessed, ticked off. I mean, he's angry, dude, and he yeah. is going to come out. And I don't think he's going to really – I don't think he's going to be the – this super unselfish LeBron that we've seen in the past. I mean, I think he is out to prove a point this year, and, and he's going to take matters into his own hand and try to try to put it in Kyrie's face. So you add that in with the hip injury, and yeah, I until I until we know about Isaiah's health, I don't think you can take him in front of those other guys. Yeah, it's it's just so risky, and we're I am very I'm not risk adverse late in drafts. But I really want I really want you out there for seventy five games if I'm going to take you with my first three picks. So um, again, we will if Anthony Davis is out there at pick eight or nine, I'll, I'll willing to take that risk. Um, just one thing I did want to hammer home: uh, Isaiah had a forty one usage rate in the fourth. Um, that is stupid high. So that's Westbrook high. Um, so that's falling, man. Um, again, if he. Yeah, he was a first-round player, but if you take that fourth quarter away, he was probably more of a second-round player. Um, Maybe even third. Yeah, right? 
Uh, and then LeBron, just for reference, uh, his usage rate in the fourth is 34. So it goes up a little bit. He's, again, he's a great passer, so that's a little misleading. Uh, so that's coming down, man. Um, okay, so and let's that's, talk. That's the, other thing, that's the other thing, too, is LeBron's the point guard of his team. Yeah. So and, Isaiah's assists are coming down, too. Yep, and again, like I said, Isaiah is not the catch-and-shoot player that Kyrie is. Kyrie's elite at that. Isaiah is very good at that. But uh, he is definitely a guy who wants to dribble and get his own shot, and he's going to have to adjust there. I think he can, but, um, yeah, just uh, it's going to be an adjustment period. Okay, so Jay Crowder. Um, you could probably say he is the biggest loser of, of this trade, uh, especially he, was, he lost first when Hayward came. We were talking about, you know, fifth, sixth round, I guess, before Hayward arrived. Then he jumped down to, like, sixth, seventh. Now, eighth, ninth, um, we're... Where are you going with Jay Crowder? A guy who doesn't need minutes. He is kind of, uh, you know, Covington-esque or even Kawhi before Kawhi just became, went inferno on everyone. Kawhi only would need 30 minutes to be elite. Like, that was kind of Jay Crowder to an extent. So, is he someone you just wait if he falls, you take him? Or do you just take an upside again late? I mean, where, where does Crowder fit in in all this? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not good. Yeah. Um the guy plays small forward and he plays power forward, and they got LeBron James and Kevin Love at both of those spots. Um, and I don't see them losing a lot of minutes. Maybe they play Love at center mm-hmm. uh, and cut Tristan Thompson a little bit, which would help Crowder. But Crowder's guy that I'll take, you know, when when we're down towards round ten. You know, somewhere in there, and I'm looking at the list of names, and I don't really like what I see. I could see pulling the trigger on Crowder then, but he's he's not gonna he's not gonna be a guy uh, we should be targeting on draft night. Yeah, man, um, I do not want to take. I don't take high floor guys, and I think Crowder has a very good chance to be a top seventy player. He's just that good, and he only needs 23, 20 minutes to do so. I want that. I, I want I want to shoot high. I want a guy who's going to be a difference maker for me. So it's just not the way I draft. But you know, if you draft high variance guys that are just not you're not sure what they are yet, and you want to throw Crowder in there um, while you figure out or whatever you're going to do, I, I don't hate it. But I just this is not how I draft. Okay, so and not, not only not only Kevin Love is a problem, but Jeff Green is well, going to get some of those minutes too. I don't think so. I think that that deal pretty much takes Green out of the rotation. Which is a great yeah. upgrade for them. You think you think because they called him a straight. Um, who was it? I forget if it was. I forget if it was. Yeah, I forget if it was their new GM or whoever it was. They were like Jeff Green's the backup. Yeah, it was the new GM they brought in. Kobe. He said that that um, Jeff Green is LeBron's straight backup. So they were going to play him at mostly three, a little bit of four. That's what Jay Crowder is. Like I don't. I just don't see. They got him for like it's not going to cost. They got him for basically the minimum. So. Yeah, but when I, when LeBron sits, I think Jeff Green. We'll probably be talking Jeff Green when LeBron sits for DFS. There's just a lot of there's there's just there's a lot of forwards on that team. Yeah. So okay, so let's let's switch it to the Cavs. LeBron is the most autonomous, unaffected value player in quite some time. Kevin Durant apparently is as well. We found that out last year. So where does he go? Does he go up or down? You mentioned the the he doesn't have a revenge game. He has a revenge season. So um, with Kyrie saying what he did, not mean, but um, you know you, when you say you don't want to play with LeBron, that, that's crazy to me. 
But so where where does he fit? Uh, I did bump him up a little bit. I bumped him up um, two spots with this. So slight upgrade. I don't really see a major statistical change. You're older. Ryan and I talked about it in the last pod. Uh, the free throws just got just killed him. Uh, he was worse than Gobert, worse than Whiteside for his influence on that category. So where are you tra- tra- drafting LeBron? Late? I think you're late first. Is that where you have him? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with taking LeBron. You know, say you got the last pick in the first round, you take LeBron and and whoever you want. Gobert, I think that's a good tandem because and just punt free throw. Yeah. Uh, I'm fine with LeBron late first, uh, especially if I say it's hurt. Um, so, again, a lot of this depends on Isaiah's health. Yeah. Um, but for me, you know, I know LeBron's a tank. I know he's every night until the end of the season. I know he's going to put up good numbers. Like you said, the free throws are, are a buzzkill, but they're not terrible. They're not. He's not one of those free throw shooters that will, you know, ruin your team's free throw shooting as a whole. You can build. You can. You can put free throw shooters around him and salvage free throws. Yeah. Um, but he's not good at them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just think LeBron is going to be on a freaking mission this year and I, I'm not afraid 10, 11, 12, 13 somewhere in there. Alright, so we, we talked about um, projections on that, so LeBron going from 26.4 what are you thinking, 27, 28 it's, it's going to be tough to get up, and then going from 8.7 assists and 8.6 boards which is just so overshadowed with what Russell Westbrook did. Um, where triple double? What? I mean, could, could he? Could he do it? Triple double? No. No. What? It's pretty close. <laughs> no one can do that. Nobody can average a triple double for a season. That's what we said last year. <laughs> uh, I don't think he can do what Westbrook did. He, yeah. Westbrook was out there on an island by himself. LeBron has some players around him. Yeah. Um, and and. Westbrook's players were literally allowing him to get rebounds. Like they would just step aside, and let him get the board. Literally stepping out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't um, use literally a lot, but they literally let him get it. Like that's that's <laughs> what happened. Um, anyways, so what, what, the the key to him again is free throws. He has to increase that sixty-seven to seven when he can. Like last year was very very unusual. So, which he again, he could be good, but um, yeah, seventy-four games. He's. I don't think his career arc is going to cut him down at age. Might be thirty-three. What is it? December thirtieth is it his birthday? I think so. Um. So yeah. But, yeah. I, I don't know, man. Just uh. I'm not, I'm just Wait. Not, do you do you have LeBron's birthday memorized? Yeah, I think so. It's right near mine. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, what is it? I, um. Isn't Tiger born that day too? Something like that. I think. December thirtieth. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, that um, that free throw percentage is weird because that's the first time, yeah, uh, since like '06 that he's been under seventy. Yeah, and he was that at ball, seventy-three. He was at seventy-three the season before that, so I'm not even sure where the where the sixty-seven came from. It's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I guess digging deeper into that. I mean, look at let's go through month by month. So, counting back from April, he was 68.3, 62 in March with a lot of games in there, um, 67 in February, 72 in January, 64 in December, and then 74 in November. So, he had a pretty decent downward trend. 
Um, so, and I mean, he's seventy four on his career, so it's yeah. it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's weird. I I think he'll be back up there, man. Um, okay, so what else? Let's stick with the Cavs. Kevin Love, uh, you mentioned uh, he's probably not affected too much. Uh, he is going to probably play similar minutes, maybe a tick down in usage rate. Uh, again, Isaiah and Kyrie kind of call it a kind of a wash for shots taken. And again, Love is pretty much just catch and shoot now. He doesn't post up like he did with the Minnesota days. So is he affected in this? I mean, I think Crowder affects him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Crowder's going to have to get minutes um, because he's too good not to play. So he's he's going to eat into Kevin Love's minutes a little bit. As far as the Isaiah Kyrie thing, sort of a wash, like you said. Uh, LeBron being more dominant with the ball this year probably hurts a little bit. I mean, I think Love takes a, a little bit of a hit, but not not one big enough to make me say stay away from Kevin Love. I think the one thing that concerns me most is we re- we really don't see it during the season, but it's really evident against teams like Golden State where Love and his defense was a lot better last year. So credit to him. Especially the Boston series. He was very good defensively. But with those times, you're like, okay, what do we do here? We need to have someone protect the rim with Tristan Thompson. Let's put Jay Crowder in there to defend a more of a stretch fork a la Kevin Durant and have LeBron in there as well to give him a little bit more versatility on perimeter defense and everything like that. So does that concern you a little bit in certain matchups or anything? I think it's a negative, but... It's not. It's not like I'm dropping him a whole round. It's more like a half a round drop. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like yeah. I think he takes a hit for all the reasons that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's not a, probably a full twelve slot drop. It's it's more like six or seven. Yep. Um, Tristan Thompson, we weren't really drafting anyways. This probably doesn't help him. Uh, okay, uh, J.R. Smith. Um, we've seen him get hot. We've seen him go on 25-game stretches where he's like a first or second-round guy when he's hitting like five threes a game. Um, but, again, Kyrie, again, he's a better... He's Isaiah Thomas isn't a better, isn't a great shooter compared to Kyrie. So does this help JR or anything? Kyle Korver's still there, obviously. So You know, like, I felt like, like, like you said, JR can go on those tears where he carries your, your team for two weeks. But I don't feel like we saw that last year. Yeah. I don't feel like he ever got it, put it together last year. Um, and with Corver standing there, and and Iman Shumpert is still there, and of course you got Derrick Rose and, and Calderon and Isaiah. Like, I don't have a good feeling about Jr. I wonder if they would go Crowder at the two or something like that, you know, and or even. Yeah, just take and go with LeBron at the point. With Derek, we'll get to Derrick Rose in a second shortly. Um, I don't know. I just feel I'm curious to see how Tyron Lue, who played some crazy lineups um, at the end, like when they had the three zero leads at the back ends of those series in the Eastern Conference, they were really mixing it up. So I want to see if he can kind of think outside the box. Um, but yeah, I'm, he's not. You can't really draft Jr. So Derrick Rose. Uh, where does he fit? He was potentially going to start at shooting guard, from what I heard. Doubt, very doubtful. Um, but where does he fit in? Well, he's not really a fantasy guy anymore. So is, does he intrigue you at all? He intrigues me if I say, if they come out and yeah. Isaiah is not in training camp and misses the preseason and is you know questionable for the first few weeks of the of the season. I think a lot of people are going to swipe uh, Derrick Rose 
in in the latter rounds of their drafts. Um, but you know he's Derrick Rose. The the glory days are, are over. They're behind us. And even if Isaiah misses the first month, Derrick Rose is still going to go pretty late. And you know once everybody's healthy on this team, I just don't see how Rose makes much of an impact at all. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm. I'm not. Tra- I'd rather have name it. I mean, I'd rather have like Chris Dunn or I don't. I don't even know any point guard or any. I'd, I'd probably rather have a DeAndre Bembry or anybody. Man, I mean, I could do so much better than Derrick Rose. Georgie Hill, Tia uh, Dosich. I'd rather have. Uh, yeah, you. I no. You could do better than him. Um, name a point guard. Seriously, point guard. man. I'd probably rather have Tyus Jones. Like I, I'm just <laughs> not like any Heat guard. I would take those guys. Uh, Neil Kina, rather have. Okay, so back on track. Um, okay, that's it for the Cavs. Let's go to Boston. Now, this again, we're talking about all these guys kind of losing value in Cleveland, so that means guys are gaining value on the other side. And I think that this is very telling that they made this move, and it showed. And what I saw, based on what I saw in summer league, probably my number one takeaway is Jalen Brown's ready to play shooting guard. And he handled the ball really, really well. He defended well on the perimeter late in the season. He did get a start there late. They tried it out, thought he was successful. They used that lineup before. And he just looked poised for a nice increase. Uh, a guy would easily take over Rose. I'd probably take over JR. A lot of a lot of guys. A guy I'd, I have a lot of faith in. He really turned the corner last year. And they love his perimeter defense. And that's kind of the thing. I, I think that's their what they're talking about is they... Isaiah, Kyrie's not elite defensively, far from, but Isaiah was so bad defensively, and Avery, and if Avery Bradley's defensive metrics got killed because of Isaiah. So, yeah, I think that that's part of their solution, is they want to play positionless basketball and have Jalen Brown be a big, a big two, even mix in some three as well. So I think he's probably the biggest winner of this whole thing, along with Tatum, who we'll get in a second. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of torn between the two J's as far as who who who's going to have a better season. But I think Jalen Brown has a real good chance to start at shooting guard. Um, like you said, he's he, he's he's due um, to show his stuff this year. Sort of like Brandon Ingram, who's so bad last year, but I fully expect Brandon Ingram to come out and play well for the Lakers this year. And I, I think the same thing's gonna happen with Jalen Brown. I think we're gonna see a different player this year. Yeah, and they and I guess this is a good segue. Is the Celtics kind of had a? They already had decided that they were gonna take it easy on him earlier in the season and then play him late uh, when an opportunity came up. That happened with Avery Bradley with his Achilles. So they said that Jason Tatum was on. This is before the trade that he was on that similar career path where we're not gonna play you much early, but we'll pitch in spots and so on. Um, so, which Tatum is probably a better pure talent than Jalen Brown is. We saw that in summer league. You, I haven't seen many forwards score the ball with as well as he did in summer league. Really, since Towns, uh, who was kind of a slash power forward center, but he was really good, man. I mean, just from a skill level, it just wows you how good he could be. So. The problem is the usage isn't going to be quite so high, so you can't really take him too aggressively. He's not. You look, when you draft him, you're pretty much just taking a shot 
Um, but it's worth it. I mean, he's going to be in. Brad, Brad Stevens is going to get a lot out of him. They need it now too. They're going to play that, like I said, positionless basketball, and they're really thin at the four. We'll get to that in a second. So I think they could play Hayward at the four, Tatum at the three, some combination of that, um, and Brown mix in there as well. So yeah, I, I like Tatum. If I want, if I want ceiling late, I'd probably uh, pure pure ceiling. I'm taking Tatum. If I want a little bit of a higher floor, I'm going for Brown. But both of them are pretty solid draft picks. And both of them should be available mm-hmm. when the time is right. You know, six, seven, somewhere in there. Yeah, if you where you said six, in, six or seventh round. Oh, lady, I won't go that early. I mean, you could, but there's a. It's going to be tough with Kyrie Horford still really good. Hayward's Hayward's not LeBron, but Hayward's gonna get his shots too. So he's they're gonna have to need to do a little bit of Jay Crowder kind of stuff, uh, where they're bringing the defensive stats and improving their three point shooting. They're obviously not tremendous shooters. So well, but, and really, on, on we're gonna have to really watch this team in training camp, and yeah, man. season because we don't know we don't know who's gonna start at power forward yeah. or shooting guard. Really, we don't know who's gonna start at shooting guard. Yeah. And if Hayward doesn't start at small forward, we don't know who's going to start at small forward. So I think there's a lot of question marks that still need to be answered before we really know how this is going to shake out. Like I could see Marcus Morris being the token starting power forward, um, but not really putting up any numbers and not not playing as many minutes as the guys off the bench at that position. Um, So this this is just kind of a kind of a weird – team to look at like you said they're gonna have to play positionless basketball and just put their best players out there and, and hope that it works so let's talk about Hayward really fast as he affected a lot a little not really I mean he he I think so going from the end of the last season to the position he started in he lost probably about a round and a half uh, with Thomas and Horford and Crowder and these young guys so he probably is about the same. So he's probably like a early fourth round kind of a guy. A guy who's really kind of just been solid. Um, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Well, I guess he did last year with the All-Star nod. But, yeah, he's solid. I I, I don't find myself drafting him yet. Uh, he goes a little bit earlier than I like, but he's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't see a big difference Um playing alongside Isaiah Thomas in Boston mm-hmm. or Kyrie Irving in Boston. It's sort of the same thing. Yeah. You're going to have a guy that's ball dominant and taken over in the fourth quarter. So it's it's not not too much of a thing. I'm just wondering where he's going to play. And I mean, yeah. can Gordon Hayward play power forward in the NBA if they ask him to? I don't know that he I don't know that he really can. I don't know that he can guard those guys. I think uh, the work he's going to have to do on the defensive end is is going to impact his offense a little bit. Um, again, he's always solid. There's not really much to worry about. I just worry that people are going to take him maybe earlier than they should. Yeah, again, it's the same thing with Isaiah. There's a lot of uncertainty. So earlier in my first four picks, I want something a little bit more solid. Um, anyways, we again we learned we learned that from Victor Oladipo last year. I'll, I'll admit we were wrong on that. <laughs> so lesson learned. Anyways, uh, you touched on Marcus Morris. I am not a Marcus Morris guy, and I had this tab on my computer that 
always brings up Marcus Morris's stats for some reason. So maybe that's why. I, so I see Marcus Morris's stats like at random, like once a week. But anyways, <laughs> um, so we're, I'm not a Marcus your, Morris guy. Is it your is it your screensaver? I, I hope not. But like this is this little tab. I'm, I'm just too lazy to get rid of it. That I always click and it always brings up his stats. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, this guy, we saw him kind of tail off last year. He went from 36 minutes a game to 33 minutes a game. That's pretty significant. Um, 41.8 field goal percentage, 33% from three. Doesn't go to the line. Terrible defensive stats. When he was valuable, he was just value, valuable on pure volume. I can't do it. I, I, like you said, the, the token starter. I, I just can't do it. Uh, I'd rather take any of these guys we said before, Jalen, Jason, and we haven't got to Marcus Smart yet. So I he hypothetically he could be better, but I don't see him playing thirty minutes. I see him at like at best twenty seven. So I mean, he's certainly not in a better position now than he was last year when he was starting, yeah. and and he, even when he was starting and scoring fourteen points and grabbing seven boards, he was barely worth owning if at all um and with with all these guys that need the ball and need to play i just don't i don't see it man yeah and it's not like they play i call it philly ball where it's very erratic a lot of turnovers which creates a lot of steals um so he's not really benefit going to benefit there and guys who aren't going to score in the upper 20s or hand out assists or rebound the ball well well i think didn't did I, i believe yeah man Avery Bradley out-rebounded him hard last year. <laughs> Avery Bradley had like six and change, and Marcus Morris had 4.6. So he's just not good. Um, which, again, like we said, we want to see... If, once we see the Gordon Hayward muscle watch stories come along, that may be telling um, that they want to play him there. He can, man. They played a lot of that Joe Johnson, Joe Ingles, Hayward 2-4 through four last year, and it was all right. It was a pretty good lineup for them. It, although, to be fair, it helps to have Rudy Gobert behind you. So uh, it's it's interesting. Like you said, probably top five story that we're going to have to watch in about a month, man. We're almost here. Uh, who, Marcus Smart, this guy. If this guy could somehow magically shoot 46% from the field, third rounder? <laughs> I mean, he's just a steals machine. He's going to be... Gonna get minutes. Um, I think he's gonna play both spots. We've seen him play plenty of shooting guard. He will again. Um, there's still Terry Rozier behind him, but they love Marcus Smart. They love Rozier as well. So I know Jonas likes him. Um, so if you're like if you draft Westbrook and Batum or somebody like that, where you're pretty clearly punting three field goals, I'm down. Uh, I think Marcus Smart can make an impact. I think he could too. I'm just worried about. I mean, he's gonna have to—he's gonna have to play a lot of shooting guard, which is fine. He—he he did really well on that role last year because Isaiah can't guard anybody, so they—they they put him out there. He—he he did well. Obviously, usage rate wasn't there, but you're getting five assists a game as a backup point guard, one point six steals, I and mean, that—that in the vacuum, those are first round kind of a numbers right there. But he mm-hmm. just can't shoot for crap, uh, so even almost a half a block a game, so. He's in his rebounds for a game. It's just the scoring's not there, which is a, a, who care. I don't care about scoring late in, in my draft. Um, but yeah, can can he? So really, the question is, and he's been working on a shot. That's been, but again, if you if you shoot the ball crappy, it's going to be oh yeah, you working on my three point shot. Or if you're getting bullied, just playing the four. Oh yeah, muscle watch. I gained seven pounds of muscle. 
or you know, oh, we're doing extra stuff in the gym. It's just when you're bad <laughs> at something, it's puff pieces, man. We love them. But um, I'm down. Like we said, new system. Maybe he's better with Kyrie, and maybe he doesn't have to put have as much pressure on him defensively. Uh, again, no Avery Bradley, gaping hole to fill. Maybe Jalen Brown isn't going to be quite as important as what they're leading on. But new role, again, great coach. Uh, I think he's in a really nice spot if you're punting. Yeah, and I mean, if you're late in your draft and you need a guard and, and your team is hurting for steals and, and you don't care about horrible shooting, smart's, smart's the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I mean, I think his defensive stats, just, just the steals alone, are make him worth taking a look at. You know, once once the names are off the board, like he's he's a he's a nice. This whole team is just full of sleepers, man. Like Mark Smart, Jalen, and Jason, and uh, maybe even Marcus Morris. I don't know, but it's it's uh, interesting to look at this, and even Terry Rozier, who we who we loved at times last year he never really got it done but i mean he can play too so um there's a a lot of a lot of guys on this team that need the ball and i'm not sure there's going to be enough of it to go around yeah and just to remind everyone in march we're talking about a good sample here 16 games four attempts per game for from three do you want to do you want to take a stab at how bad he was Percentage, yeah, percentage-wise. So, again, 16 games, four attempted per game. How, what do you think he shot in March last year from three? Point, point 0.7 makes. Po, po, close. Point 0.8 makes. At, so, that's 18.8% from three. <laughs> so, you're basically – you want to be at, like, 35. League average, I think, was 35.4. Not sure on that. So, he's basically half what he should have been. Um, so yeah, he's he's got some serious serious work to do. Uh, Al Horford, slight winner. Um, they need again. They're a little thinner, power forward. They're going to have more pressure on him. We've seen him be a at time, especially earlier in the year last year. He was blocking a lot of shots. Um, I think his assists are going up. Nice winner for me. He was a guy I was looking at who I didn't I wasn't targeting. Now I am. Now I th- he was in that Brook Lopez tier right there even he's almost closer to Embiid now uh Horford I'm kind of in on I think he's in a really great position um to to just anchor this team defensively and again assist wise five assists per game I think he led all centers in total assists last year I have to check that really fast so how do you feel about Horford now well Linux out of the way too which helps him uh and he's not dealing with the uh results of a concussion this year, I think that concussion really set him back last year. Um, yeah, it seemed like it t- took him a long time to get over it. He never really blew up like we kind of thought he would. Um, I think he's. I think a lot of people are going to be sleeping on Al Horford this year. And like you said, I mean, he's a center that shoots three and isn't going to hurt you anywhere, percentage wise. And I think with Kyrie getting so much defensive attention along with Gordon Hayward. Uh, Horford should get a lot of easy buckets this year. I think he's going to have a good year. Yeah, and he did lead centers in assists per game. Uh, he was about 20 behind Jokic for the total because Jokic had him out game. But, yeah, just to hammer home that blocks thing, um, he had 2.6 blocks in no- uh, November, but that's a very small sample. 
He had 2.3 to start the year. He was blocking really well, uh, and it just kind of trailed off to give it to you month by month. Uh, 2.3, 2.6, 1.8, 1.1 in January, 0.8 in February, 0.9 in March, and then 0.5. So that's like a straight-up downtrend. Uh, on Horford, and I think he'll be 1.6, 1.7 with close to a steal. We know Horford is money in percentages, man. Uh, I'm very much a mini, t- basically towns without the scoring. Um, is kind of what we're looking at. Yeah, and hopefully he he's aware that he stopped blocking shots in the, right? of the season, and he'll be like, "Ooh, I wonder why I did that." And hopefully he figured it out and is ready to go this year because. Um, I mean, like you said, he could block 1.5 shots, hit 1.5 threes a game, average a double double, and five assists. Like he he's he's got potential to be really good this year. Yeah, and he did have the more did have more threes, so consequently that hurt him field goal percentage wise. This guy was year in and year out 53. percent um, I think when he was a first rounder, he was like 57. percent um, Yeah, dude, I'm I'm buying Horford, and I ba- I kind of bashed Horford like three weeks ago. And <laughs> now I like flipped, quickly flipped the script on that. All right. Anything else we didn't hit? Um, also, they're apparently looking at Andrew Hayward now they have that extra roster spot. Anything else you want to throw in on from this trade or anything else that you want to talk about for draft guide coming up? Mm, I mean, the draft guide should be out the day after Labor Day. Whatever that Tuesday is. I think it's like September 6th. Sixth, maybe um, September fifth. I think is when we're going with the soft launch, and then that following Monday, like the eleventh. I think we're going all in. Um, so most of the stuff should be in there on September fifth, and we'll be adding mock drafts and and cleaning some stuff up and and adding a few columns as we go. But um, September fifth looks like the looks like the, the date, the go, uh, assuming. We get it all done and done. It's a it's a huge task, and I think this is my seventeenth draft guide in a row that I've uh, helped with. Jeez, I used man. to do it all by myself, but now I got guys like you and Naus and Jonas and everybody else to carry some of the weight. So uh, September fifth is what we're looking at. Right before football season starts, man. September seventh, I think, is the the kickoff day. So I'm pumped, man. Can't wait to. It's actually what Evan was saying was they had, they're updating their projections constantly right now. So this is like the fantasy football draft weekend. Basketball isn't really like that. You don't have like a big draft weekend for basketball. You know, you kind of just do it whenever people could could get together. You know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting uh, to tie in. Any any uh, anything you could tie in from what Evan was Evan and I were talking about with. Football versus basketball, and maybe how you build your roster together. I was I talked a lot about how I care way more about my studs in football than I do in basketball. Where in basketball, if you have two or three great players, that's helpful. But you really need to have a good team top to bottom. Where football, like I, like I said in the earlier segment, if you have, it's basically who has the best three studs and the rest of the roster is solid, they're gonna win. And who's healthy. But basketball, again, you need roster construction top to bottom to really compete. Yeah, it seems like with football, like I'm I'm more focused in on positions and where I'm gonna take my running back and where I'm gonna take my quarterback and where I'm gonna take my wide receiver. 
Whereas basketball, I don't really care what position I'm filling first as long as I get the guy that I want. And obviously, if you play in a two-center league, um, centers become way more valuable and, and hard to come by than if you play in a one-center league. Um, but basketball, for the first few rounds, I'm just taking guys. I'm taking guys that I want, whereas football – I think you really gotta you gotta really look at uh, the, the tiers more and and uh, you know this is the last elite receiver left on the board. I need to get him or I'm gonna be really hurt uh, with my receiver if I don't take this guy right now. Um, so yeah, I think you just need to be more aware of positions. Not that you don't need to be aware of position scarcity in basketball. It's much more prevalent and important, I think, in football. Yeah, because you need you only have you don't, you have, don't have as many starters really. Well, in running backs, there's there's so many committees now. There's like yeah. five workhorses, um, and and those guys have so much more valuable value than um, than other players at other positions because of scarcity. So, yep. stat scarcity is definitely more important because points are points in in fantasy football. I actually do want to disagree with you really quick. Um, based on all the mocks I've been doing, man, I want a center early bad. More more than I've ever wanted in my, in my entire fantasy life. I've been playing <laughs> fantasy hoops for almost 15, 20 years now. And, uh, yeah, man. Um, this, I can't remember wanting a center so bad. So, something... Well, I think center and small forward. Like, those are the two that... Those are the two basketball positions that are dried up fastest in my opinion it seems like there's a lot of young point guards out there yeah but they go they go they go in spurts man you could be picking at the end of end of round two and you could have 15 of them go and then in the next like we talked about those all those tiers with lowry and conley and so on and then you're catching Dragic on the way back and how high is uh my boy moody gonna go like it's it's tricky man um point the old point guards and big men i think still kind of looms large for me i'll, I'll get I'll, most of my sleepers are wings so I, I tend to lean point guards and bigs early and just pick up my my wings a little bit later and i'll agree with that like in the past I, i'll look at it and think man there's a lot of point guards out here and then you look up in round six you're like oh man i need a point guard and there's there's not much left yeah um but i think in my opinion, the, the elite small forwards and the elite centers seem to be there. Seem to be more point guard options out yeah. there than if you miss out on one of the big, you know, small forwards, then you might have a scoring issue on your team. Yeah, you're definitely. I mean, there's a big drop, like especially last year when Paul George was truly elite. Like once you miss that, you're like, all right, you're getting, you're just getting guys late unless somebody falls or something. All right, so Monster Pod, basically uh, two couple, uh, a 30-minute and almost an hour. But, again, one of the biggest trades we're ever going to see in the offseason, even not offseason. This is just hard to wrap our heads around. So good luck to anyone doing a football draft. Again, make sure you check out the Rotor World Football Draft Guide for just so many great columns that we're also going to have for basketball that we'll be pumping out really soon, believe it or not. Uh, so um, Evan was awesome uh, hopefully we have him on again and thanks for coming on Steve this is great alright man the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.